0: Okay, let's get this. Uh, let's get this started. First of all, um, again, always, as always, thank you to everybody who is helping support the shear on uh, Patreon.com, and great to see everybody. And let's dive right in. So this week's parsha in Klutz Arts anyway is Parshas Pinchas. Just to give a quick rundown of the parsha, uh, we'll spend most of the time talking about the whole story with Pinchas, which makes sense, even though that really only covers the first let's say, five psukim of this week's Parsha and the last nine of, of last week's Parsha. Um, then there is an entire census of the Jewish people um, after the plague. After the plague, they killed 24,000 Jews, most of them from Sheva Shimon. There is a, uh, another census. Uh, there is the Benos Tzlafchad, which unfortunately we will not talk about today, which is a fascinating episode where the, basically the daughters of Tzlafchad came and uh, demanded a portion of Eretz narrative Israel. Uh, and uh, basically uh, Moshe gave it to them um, because there were no sons to inherit their father. Okay, fine. Moshe asks for a replacement for a leader after he's gone, and Hashem tells him to take Yoshua, and then for the rest of the parsha, basically the entire second half, uh, is a list of all the korbanos that we bring uh, on the Chagim, on all of them. So uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on Pinchas. Maybe we'll see if we touch quite a little bit, but then, then we'll talk a little bit about the Korbanos. So let's first of all, first of all, first thing we have to do is, is dive in uh, to the story of Pinchas. If you paid attention after the end of last week's Parsha, so what's going on over here? Bilam is unsuccessful in cursing the Jews, and he basically tells uh, Balak to send in the girls. And he sends in the B'nos Moav and the B'nos Midian, and the Jews are sinning with them. They're bowing down to Baal Paor, which is a weird of that we got to talk about. Uh, there's a plague. Moshe Rabbeinu says, okay, everybody, get your swords. Kill anybody who bowed down to Baal Paor. That's, uh, again, that's Pusuk, uh, uh, at the end of the, the, the last six Um And the Gemara and Sanhedrin, again, as I said before, says it was mostly Shevet Shimon. Uh, basically, what happens is Shevet Shimon gets up. Again, this is the Gemara talking, not necessarily the Tsukim, The Gemara endoth uh, Pei bays. Basically, they get up and they say, hey, they, get, they went to their Nussi, the Nussi of Sheba Shimon, uh, Zimri, and it said, hey, do something. Right, they're killing all the Shimon people. So, basically, we'll, we'll uh, explain a little bit, uh, but but Zimri basically took Cosby, this uh, this Moabite princess. Um, anyway, we have to read the Gemara a little bit, but basically stood her in front of Moshe Rabbeinu, said, hey, is she or is she also Moshe said, she's also So, he basically started making fun of Moshe, because Moshe married a, a, a quote-unquote guy. By right, daughter of Yisro, and basically he took her, um, and Moshe had nothing to say back because he couldn't say so he was he was kind of personally invested, etc. Uh, Puzzak says him bochim. Everybody was crying. They forgot the halacha. The Gemara seems to imply, and Pinchas got up and said, "Isn't the halacha pogimbo?" A fascinating halacha that we'll talk about also, that the the Mishnah says on, on Sanhedrin Daf that if he, someone sees a Jew sleeping with an non Jewish woman, so what's called pogimbo, that a Kanoi, someone who is zealous. For God's honor, can kill him, right? That person, right? that that person is not put to death in Bais in. The sinner is not put to death and based in Bais Uh, But the the Kanoi is allowed to kill him. And we're going to have to define what that means because that seems like it's free license to kill people, and that's definitely not what it is. Um, but uh, that's that's basically Allah Pinchas, remembered the Allah Moshe said the one who remembered the Allah should go act on the Allah Basically, Pinchas picked up uh, a spear and killed both of them. And that's the end of last week's Parsha. At the beginning of this week's Parsha, Kosh Baruch Hu says that Pinchas basically, uh, what's to say? He, I don't know, I guess repealed God's anger, whatever, that's probably a bad translation, but he, he calmed God's anger when he was a kanoi, when he was zealous for me, and I therefore did not destroy the Jews, meaning there was a plague, meaning Pinchas' action destroyed, stopped the plague, and that Kosh Baruch Hu says, no shalom. I'm going to give him a covenant uh, of peace. And that's pretty much where it ends. It just names the people in the story, etc. So what in the world is going on over here? Very difficult to understand this parasha. Um Again, Pinchas, let's, let's not, we try not to dumb it down, right? Pinchas murdered two people in cold blood. Again, if this was happening in America, the headline would be, Dude murders two people. That would be the headline. Right. So let's let's just try and quantify and explain based on things that we've been mentioning up until now, I'm try to maybe go a little deeper. First thing we, we have to mention is, we'll talk about this a lot next week um, with Partish Matos, but we've been saying it pretty much every week for the last uh, month or so, uh, the same idea, that actions themselves in a vacuum are neither good nor bad, they're simply neutral. And whether an action is either positive or negative depends on how the Torah views it and what the halacha says about it. That is the lens in which we view the world. That's the lens in which we view actions. Again, Pinchas murdered two people. Right. This is, again, the action, of, if I would ask you, is murder good or bad? You would tell me, obviously, you would tell me murder is bad. And you are right in 99% of cases. But that's exactly the point, that it depends. It depends on what the Torah says. Again, like it depends on what the Torah says. Now, again, this is obviously a very different value system and justice system that we're used to, let's say, in the Western world. Uh, but, that, again, that's a discussion for another time. But we have to sometimes adjust our worldview when we're learning through the halachos and we see this in the Torah. God, the puzzle is very clear. Like Pinchas did an amazing thing, and God praised him for it, gave him a covenant of long life. Many Midrashim say that Pinchas is Eli he got He lives forever. Like... This is very clear that what Pentecost did was great. Now he murdered a couple of people. So that's, again, that's what we're trying to, to explain. That we have to adjust our sensitivities and say, what does the Torah say about every single action, no matter what our knee-jerk reaction might be? That's A. B, what is the Allah in this case? Again, we mentioned that the Mishnah says in, in, in Sanhedrin, if someone is sleeping with a non-Jewish woman, that Pogambo that is zealot, someone who is zealous for a Baruch Hu, his honor is allowed to kill him. Right? There is no punishment in baysdin necessarily. Now the Gemara goes on and on and on about how terrible the sefera is, but there is no punishment that the Jews would give him. Let's say in a formal in like if they found someone, let's say for uh, let's say oh, uh, cheating, etc., uh, or let's say any one of the other arrayos. Just to illustrate what it means. What does it mean, Kanoyan Pokemon, that we have a license to kill? It's very, very Hollywoodish. It's very weird. It is not Hollywood. That is not what we're talking about over here. We're talking about someone who 100% has uh, a Kosh Baruch Hu's honor in mind. 100%. If it's 99% God's honor and 1% ah, I'm going to get to kill somebody, then he is a murderer and he is put to death. That's the Gemara says very clearly. Now, just to illustrate, there are the, is not the first person to kill someone in the Chumash based on immoral activities. If any of you guys can think about, it, I'm not sure. Think about it for a second. Back in Sopher Brachus, there are a couple of people right, who killed, not more than one person. They killed a bunch of people for immorality. Anybody remember? Any ideas? It's okay if you don't. It's fine. Shimon and Levi. Shimon and Levi killed the entire city of Shechem, right? If you remember, Dina, Yaakov's daughter, was raped by Shechem. His father, Hamor, who was the, the mayor or the king or whatever you want to call it of the city of Shechem, came to Yaakov and said, Hey, let's let's marry each other. Let's uh, you know, let's have let's become one nation. My son Shechem, wants to marry your daughter Dina. And basically Shimon and Levi said, No problem. They, they tricked them, they said, No problem. Everybody get a brismila and we can intermarry. And on the third day they came and they killed everybody. So the Netziv points out, and the nativ, uh, uh of Tzvi uh, Yehuda Berlin, yeah, lived in Prague about the eight, in the middle of the 1800s. He says, what's the difference between Pinchas and Shimon and Levi? Right, Shimon and Levi at the end of Sefer uh, Bereshis, Yaakov curses their anger and the fact that they killed the whole city. Right? On the other hand, Pinchas is praised and given a brit shalom, etc. Says the Netziv and Meishiv Dover what's the difference? So he says that because Pinchas was 100% for Akash Baruch and Shimon and Levi, let's just, again, we're talking about tremendous tzaddikim, so we can't understand exactly the level. But let's say Shimon and Levi were 99% for Akash Baruch and let's say 1% for themselves. So what is the difference between Shimon and Levi and, uh, and, and, and Pinchas? So I thought, I think the difference is in, you can tell how many people they killed. Meaning Pinchas killed the person doing the Avera and that was it. Shimon and Levi killed the whole city. Right? And I think this is what Rashi says. Rashi says, he points out, when Yaakov curses their anger, Right? He put, the puzzle says, Ki har gu'ish. In their anger they killed a man. Rashi says it doesn't mean a man, it means a bunch of people. It means Chamor and the, the people in Shechem. But Rashi doesn't mention Shechem himself. Right? It seems imp- the implication is that Shechem should have been killed because he raped Dina. But when Shimon and killed extra people, that kind of showed that they're kanoi-ish, their kanos, their their zealousness went a little bit too far. Now again, uh, we're talking about tremendous tzaddikim, and obviously they had their reasons. They didn't, we're not just talking about people who acted impulsively and just like, you know, whatever. But that's exactly the point over here. That We just have to explain what the halakha is. This is someone who is 100%. This is not anybody on this Zoom. right? It has no license to kill. Okay, no, Probably nobody alive today is able to fulfill this halakha. This is only for someone who would be 100% uh, concerned with Akash Baruch uh honor. That's, that's A, just to illustrate and explain exactly what, uh, A, A, I guess that's B, but just to uh, illustrate what the, what the halakha is and what, what happened over here. Um, number C, I guess, on this topic is something that we should just mention very quickly in passing, and that is that how severe the Torah views the Isser of illicit and immoral relationships. Uh, we live in a culture, right, unfortunately, uh, all of us—Israel, right, Canada, America, England, etc.—where immorality and infidelity are not a big deal. Right? In a lot of the media that we consume, these things are celebrated. And again, if, uh, like I said, if someone walks in on a spouse cheating and he kills them both, that guy's a criminal. Now he's not a tzadik, obviously. I'm not saying that he, <laughs> that's appropriate, but that's how it is framed, uh, or I would imagine that's how it would be framed. Right. Again, the Torah reiterates time and time again, right? and especially in Parshas Acharemos, Parshas Kedoshim, that immorality contaminates a person, a society, a land. Right? The Torah says that Israel will spit us out if we act immorally. Right? Like the Canaanim and the Midstream, etc., etc. Right? The just to give, we're in the three weeks, and the Kinos and Tishbev talk about how married women back in the time of the Korban right, would walk into the marketplace, perfumed up the wazoo right, and stand, position themselves intentionally near young unmarried men, right, Ellie Wiesel writes in Night, I don't know if you ever read, read Night, but it's terrifying, and I try to read it every above. Um it's like 110 pages, uh, He one of the things that he writes is that when he got put into a cattle car, that the young, young people, the young couples would just lose themselves and started sleeping with each other in the cattle car, again, I don't know anything about this, but this is what he writes, right? Now, again, I don't ever, God forbid, I do not judge. I don't know, I'm not, I never, ever would I judge and say this is what, I'm not trying to say this is what caused it. God forbid, I never, ever, ever play God and say this is what caused the Holocaust or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that when you have immorality, right, clearly something was off, right? That's how. If that's how quickly things went nuts, something was off. Whenever there's immorality, when there's a societal breakdown, then judgment is not far behind. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but again, it just needs to be reiterated that that's what was going on. This was the Avera, right? And who was the plague, killed 24,000 people. What was going on? They were sleeping with non-Jewish women and worshipping Avodah Zarah. Right? Whenever there's promiscuity, uh, there is disaster that comes on the heels of it. Um, and, again, I just wanted to mention because, unfortunately, promiscuity is, is rewarded and, you know, infidelity is praised and celebrated, uh, you know, throughout. So we just need a constant reminder of, of where the Torah stands on this stuff. Okay, well, that's just one more thing about Pinchas. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but but uh, what is this brisi shalom? What is the bris that Akash Baruch Hu gave him? So there are a lot of interpretations. One of them, again, from the native I think B'nai Sokhar writes this as well, that fascinating insight from the netziv. He says that Pinchas was not by nature a zealous person. He was not the guy, right? Everybody has that friend who goes around and and like says like, oh, you're not doing this or you're not doing this. Right? Everybody can think of someone who is overly zealous and overly religious. Says the netziv, Pinchas was not that guy. He's not going around yelling, you want you keeping this mitzvah, this halakha, etc., which made what he did even greater because he had to rise against his own personality. He was not murderous by nature. Rebbe Chaim writes, that's why the Torah says, right, the Torah talks about it, beginning this week's parsha it says, Pinchas ben Eleazar ben Aaron It traces him back to Aaron. Why? What's the point? We know who he is. We've had him before in the Chumash, not the first time we've met him. So Chaim says, because he was exactly just like his grandfather. Aaron was an Ohev Shalom V'Rodav Shalom. He loved peace, always went after people to try to make Machlokas disappear. So that's what Pinchas was as well. So that's how you know he was 100% He wasn't acting on selfish nature or natural instincts. So why did Hashem give him a brisk shalom? It says in the tziv, a fascinating insight into psychology, which is crucial for us. And it says when a person does a serious act, so that causes their nature to change. That gives them a little bit of hardness. Right, like you see on the movies or like any TV show or whatever. Right, any anytime like somebody gets initiated into like I don't know a gang or like somebody some some sort of sort of criminal under you know criminal criminal thing above. So the first time he kills somebody, it's like nuts. Second time, not so much. And by the third time, it's really not, no big deal. Right, so that's this act of murder would have caused a change in Pinchas's nature, even though theoretically, right, it was the right thing to do it still would have given him an azuz, like a, a brazenness or a callousness right, that wasn't there. So to counteract that, Akash Baruch Hu had to give him a bris of shalom. He had to give him an injection of shalom, a peacefulness that would help him right, become calm and peaceful so he wouldn't fall into that trap again. And the points it out that it's a similar thing by something called the Irni Dachas. When you have an Yirani Dachas, the halacha is that if a majority of a city is worshipping a vodah so you go in and you wipe out that city. So the Puzzle says, that people who do that will get extra rachamim, will get extra peace. And that's the same idea. At Kosh Baruch Hu had to give these people who are commanded to commit murder, which is not what they would regularly do. Right? But Kosh Baruch Hu would give them this extra injection of shalom. It's a fascinating insight into the power of actions right, to change us. The first time we do something, right, might not be such a big deal, right, even though what we're doing is a little bit out there, right, the first drink, the first smoke, the first cheating on a test, whatever it is. So it's not so comfortable, but that plants within us, right, a little bit of a seed and affects our characteristics, our personality. Now you're a little more bold, a little bit more brazen, right, And, and maybe the second time won't be such a big deal, right, so it's crucial to remember that. Right? And, and not even get to that first step. Right? Avoid, what do they say? Avoid the gateway drugs. Right? That's exactly the point. The opposite is true as well. Not to be so negative. Right? The first time you do a chesed that you're uncomfortable doing. Right? Let's say, I don't know, uh, people are uncomfortable going, in, going to an old age home. So for that for that person, it's the first time you do it. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. But it builds within you a sensitivity and, and hopefully at the end of it, you'll be like, oh, that was really worth something. Second time you go back, not so bad. Third time you're already looking forward to it. right? So this natural inclination that we have that our actions impact our, our, our psyche, so use that to your advantage. Right? Go out and do mitzvahs that are a little uncomfortable. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not a bad thing. Right. Go out on the edge a little bit to do extra mitzvahs that you maybe would not do necessarily. And right? your characteristics will change. Uh, me personally, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why, I was always uncomfortable around kids with special needs. I never did Hask or uh, Shalva or any of that type of stuff. I just, I don't know, I, whatever. And to this day, I regret it because I, I'm not uncomfortable around them. They're obviously beautiful people, but like to this day, I regret it because people who do that right, build within themselves such a tremendous chesed and, and a relationship, that the, the way they're able to relate to people. So make sure you stay away from that first misstep. Maybe go out a little bit on a limb and do a chesed or a mitzvah that you're not necessarily comfortable with because in the grand scheme of things, it'll affect us in ways that are, that are extremely powerful. Okay, let's move on to this Avodah Zara thing. This Baal Pa'or. It's it's pretty well known only because it's so ridiculous, right? It's literally a, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, that how would you worship this Avodah Zara? You would basically eat foods that were a laxative and go and defecate and go to the bathroom in front of this Avodah Zara. It's the weirdest thing ever. Right, it says in how do you understand this? Like how do you even begin to wrap your head around this ridiculous Avodah Zara? So the first thing that he doesn't mention, but I'll just mention, is that you have to understand, for us, we have a very difficult time relating relating to this because back in the day, there used to be a tremendous taiva to worship. Right again, the Gemara says that Ashi got rid of the taiva for Avodah The only way I can explain it. Is that if you think about the type of the, the desire that we have for, I guess, inappropriate relationships for physical contact or touch and that type of stuff, think about that for a desire to worship. People needed to worship physical things. Akash also, but physical, The desire to bow down and to, to have that, that was, it was almost like an Arayos type of, of desire. Right, again, everything, almost everything that we do nowadays, or on better or for worse, right, revolves around that desire, right, to to get married and raise a family, etc. That's a positive, and obviously, it's not the negative. That's what it was. They had this overwhelming desire uh, to bow down to Avodah Zarah, so or, or just to worship. So, when a person gets controlled by their taivas, they can do the craziest things. Right? There's probably a probably we should do on Monday from Misilas Yesharim, but but uh, all right, that's just just a word about how you can uh, how we could get to that point. But says Ruchaim. Right, again, the Gemara, on, on uh, again in, in, in Sanhedrin, illustrates to what extent this avodah Zara was. And Rav Chaim says, that, and I'll just explain it afterwards that this is the key to understanding what it was, and it, it actually is a tremendous moser. Gemara there says there was a guy named Sabeta or Sabata, right? He uh, he rented his donkey to a guy, right? And uh, while uh, he was following along behind her, and and she arrived at a at a I guess a shul for Baruch Pa'or. and she said. Right? Wait here, I'm going to go in and I'll, I'll be out in a minute. After she came out, he said, okay, you, now you wait. I'm going in also. So she said, aren't you Jewish? She said, what do you care? Don't worry about it. So he went in. The Gemara says, just again, to be uncouth, we're going to say it, we're going to be real. He went in, he went to the bathroom. He wiped himself with the nose of the Avodah That's the Gemara says. Again, in, with the intention to demean and embarrass and abuse and show how this Avodah Zarah is ridiculous and then and what happened all of the quote-unquote rabbis or the priests or the Kohanim of Baal Pa'or said no one has ever worshipped Baal Pa'or with as well as this guy that's the Gemara says Rav Chaim, what what the heck's going on over here Rav Chaim says the essence of Baal Pa'or is that nothing is sacred that there are no boundaries there are no gedarim nothing is treated with respect even the Avodazara is abused that's the ashkafa of this avodah that you can even go to the bathroom on it you're going to treat it like such a low thing that's a point nothing is sacred right nothing is sacred and he says that even though actually got rid of the type of avodah this meter remains where nothing is off limits and you can just let loose without rules or boundaries, not treating anything with seriousness or honor or covet or respect. That's that's what the zavota zara is, right? And this is why it very makes a lot of sense. Why it was tied to arayos. Why it was tied to sleeping in the benos Moab. Because it doesn't. When it starts with, with arayos, that tied together, there are no boundaries. There are no rules, right? When you when you are just let you just let loose. And you a person abandons his marital status, etc. Nothing is sacred, nothing is off limits. So you just go in and let yourself do whatever. This is crucial because we, again, myself included, grew up in a culture which defines the word freedom very differently than the religion that we grew up in. Right? Freedom, as defined by Western culture, Western society, says this is this again, this is. Just thinking. This seems to be like a rant on Western culture. That's not what I meant at all. I feel like I've mentioned that like four or five times today. But okay, it just happens like that. But um, Western culture defines freedom as the ability to do whatever you want. That's how they define it. Right? Freedom means I want to be able to free to choose whatever I want. Judaism does not view freedom like that. Judaism says, and this is—I don't want to spend too much time on this—but Judaism said, if you remember, by Pesach we talked about that. When were the Jews free? The Jews were free too. What does freedom mean in Judaism? Freedom means freedom from the physical trappings and the typos of this world. That you free yourself from the habits... And the obsessions that your physical self has by the result, by the fact that you are physical, you by definition are bound to the physical world. And you have certain desires and needs that may or may not go against the Torah value. To be free of that, to be able to worship a gosh to be free of your physical self. So that's very different. I mean, America's and, and the Western view of freedom is being free to do whatever you want. No limits. Nothing is serious. Nothing is sacred. Right? No boundaries whatsoever. That's the ultimate goal you really you not happy with that right that was the attitude of the ball poor um and that's what uh, obviously we have to avoid okay let's move on a little bit uh to keep on going down with the parsha because we could talk all day about uh, Pinchas, uh, etc uh but the next part of the parsha basically is this entire census of amisrael and again it's a lot of numbers and it's really boring if you're in shul i don't mean to say that but it's really boring if you're in shul so but, but if you look at the numbers and you pay attention it's fascinating and the list at the end of Sefer Bratius, I like to point this out, is that at uh, the end of Sefer Brachis, right? there's a list of Yaakov children. Anybody know who, which Shavit had the most kids? It's okay if you don't. It's fine. Uh, Benyamin. Benyamin had 10. Benyamin had 10 kids. Anybody know the Shevet had the least kids? It's okay if you don't. Uh, Don. Don had one kid. Uh, his name was Chushim, and, and he was blind. So, if you look at that, you'd be like, well, who got the better lot? Binyamin, Baruch Hashem, plus 10 kids, huge family. If you look at the census in this week's parsha, so Binyamin ends up almost smack in the middle. He's seventh with the number of children. Don was second behind Yehuda. Yehuda had the most, and Don is second. So, the uh, the Ramelech Biederman points this out as well, and Chazal points out, you just never know. A person should never, ever think Right? woe is me, woe is my lot in life. Person only has Rahman never, should never say only one kid. One kid is beautiful, one kid is amazing. Ten kids is also amazing. Right? But you should never ever be like, Oh, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. Kosh Baruch has got you. Kosh Baruch is gonna give you what you need, right? And person should be happy with their lot. Uh, Rav Melech points this out about Shavit Levi also. But Shavit Levi was very small, right? Very the smallest of all the tribes, Pashtas. Yet he said it was a big bracha. He explains because if they would have, Meshach writes that if the, the Shevet Levi didn't get an inheritance in Eretz they were set up through forty-two uh, Levite cities. If they had been more numerous, it would have been a disaster. I'm not sure. I don't understand the soci- sociological. Implications really so much, but if they'd been more numerous, it would have been disaster settling them in Eretz Yisrael, because they didn't have a specific portion where they should settle. Okay, uh, but um, but again, but you really also see this later in the Parsha because the Parsha says that after the census, that Akash Baruch told Moshe, that I'm going to set up the portions in Eretz Israel based on the lottery. For the many, for the people who have a lot, they should get a lot of land, and for the people who have less, you should get less. Right? Again, everyone gets what they need. Right? People who are smaller shouldn't look at people who have more and think, oh, I wish I had this. You're getting exactly what you need in life. Right? That's why Kosh Baruch can tell us, right? Losakmo, don't be jealous of other people, right? Everybody asks, how could a Kosh Bar being jealous is an emotion. How could a be like, Don't be jealous? How am I supposed to control that? Right. So the answer is that I'll explain is that it's because who is jealous? It's someone who doesn't realize that a Kosh Baruch who's got everything under control. If a person understands that it has a munah, bitachon, that Hashem has got you taken care of and gamzolotovah and your lot is what you're supposed to get in life, there's no losachmod. Right? Why would you be jealous of the guy next door? You're living your life. Kosh has got you. He's living his life. It has nothing to do with anything. Right? Losachmod is, is a result of a person not having uh, a bitachon and realizing that everything is a colotovah. So that's something that uh, Rav Melech explains, uh, you see from this parasha. And he says, you see it from the three weeks as well. Right He's, again, the three weeks. Right, obviously, the destruction of the Mikdash, terrible tragedy, definitely true. But the Medrash says in Eicha that you know, Akash Baruch who, instead of destroying the Jews for all their sins, took his anger out on sticks and stones, which is the building. Right. And that's uh, and that's a tremendous Kesed, uh, unbelievable. Rav Melech quotes the Toldos Yitzchak, uh, from a city called Nishchis in Ukraine. Okay, uh, he says an unbelievable pshat. He says. We think the three weeks are a time of tremendous tragedy and distance from Akash Barakhu. And in a certain sense, it very much is. But the Talmud Yitzchak says it's also the opposite. Because it's a time of great love and mercy from Akash Barakhu. Because what happened? Hashem got angry at us. We were deserving of destruction. But what did he do? Hashem didn't destroy us and instead destroyed the Beisamehtosh. So there's also a great love from Akash Barakhu at this time. Shem is always taking care of us, right? Even if things seem lousy, Shem is always taking care of us. We don't have to worry about that. Okay. Uh, let's go a little, little further. Uh, yeah, I see that the time is running out a little bit, so let's let's keep on moving. Moshe chooses well Moshe. Moshe asks the Kaj Baruch Hu to appoint a new leader. And he said and, and Hashem tells him, okay, pick Yoshua. So two things I want to uh, just call and call out over here. Moshe says, first of all, when Moshe is addressing Hashem, he calls Hashem Eloh Basar, the god of the Ruach, the spirit. For all flesh, and it says Hashem, who is the God of the spirits of all flesh, please choose a leader who will res- who will take over after me. And then you when Hashem says, "Okay, no problem," pick Yoshua, ish asher ruach bo. He is a man of spirit. He is a man of who understands spirits or, or the insides of people. What in the world's going over here? So so Rabbi Chaim Shmuel points out that yoshua was not the greatest person necessarily, right? He was the fifth on the list of the Miraclem. So what was his Uniqueness that got him chosen as the, as the next ruler. So, again, I'm not going to quote Rashi here because we're short on time, but basically, Rashi explains someone who can be so well with everyone, someone who can understand and speak with and deal with every different type of person in Am Yisra, Right, And he explains that. <speaking in Hebrew> and also, he can go against all of the nature, all of the spirits, all of the natural inclinations. Of other people, it says Rav Chaim This is how a parent needs to deal with their children, and this is how a leader needed to deal with Am Yisrael. Moshe had complained earlier, and Sefer after the Jews complained about Mon, that uh, what, what Hashem, what do you want from me? Moshe says, I, Did I give birth to these people? Do I need to raise them? And again, you see that Moshe treated his status as leader as if he was a parent. It says of Chaim that this is what a parent has to do. Right? To raise their kids. First of all, chanoch lenar al pidarko. Right? Again, you guys are going to be parents soon, believe it or not. So, definitely important to hear, uh, even though it may not be relative for you right now. A parent has to, chanoch al pidarko, figure out the different spirit, the different ruach, the different nature of each kid, and raise them according to what they need. Right? And also, she keneged He has to also be able, he and she also have to be able to go against what their kid wants, a leader and a parent have to go against. What the kid wants sometimes. A kid wants ice cream for dinner. He can't have that. Right? The child doesn't know what's best for him. right? I, we've discussed before, I wanted to go to a certain high school. My parents wanted me to go to a different high school. And I would have been a very, very different person if I had gone to that different high school. <laughs> right? The kids, unfortunately, have a tremendous, I don't know about it, nowadays, but I definitely did all, growing up. And I'd imagine it's also true nowadays. Kids have a ton of entitlement. Right? And, and I feel like a little bit, right parents maybe be a little bit less strict nowadays. I don't know. I'm a strict parent. I, I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. My kids will tell you that I'm a strict parent, and that's annoying. But sometimes the kids don't know what's best for them. Right? Kids want a smartphone. Kid wants to go to a party. Kids wants to go to the vacation. This college, that letting kids make life-changing decisions, kids are really dumb. Right? I was a dumb kid. Right? Kid, most of the time, they have no idea what's best for them. So parents need to, first of all, be able to know and deal with the different types of kids and how to deal with them. And they also have to be able to stand up to them and be like, hey, listen, this is not good for you. Right? Let me take care of you. That was the overriding characteristic of Yeshua. That's how he got chosen as a leader. And it's a lesson for all of us because we're all the leaders of our own households uh, to a certain extent. We need to be able to have that strength and that, uh, that the fortitude to be able to say yes or no. Okay. <coughs> Korban Talmud. Most of the Korbanos, it's a long second half of the Parsha, I'm not going to go through all the Korbanos. One that is listed is the Korban Tamid, brought twice a day. The Korban Tamid was brought once in the morning, once in the afternoon, without fail. One of the tragedies that we fast for on Shabbat last week is that the Tamid was stopped on Shivas of right, during the times of the siege. What is so crucial about the Korban Tavit? There's a fascinating medrash brought by the Ein Yaakov. At the beginning, we happen not to have this medrash, but he quotes unbelievable medrash. She says that the Chachamim, the Tanaim, were arguing what is the ichor of the Torah? Right? What is... Let me just find the language. What is... Uh, what is a puzzle that includes the entire Torah? So one, Ben Zoma said it was Shmaya Israel Shemalakir Okay, that makes sense. Ben Nana says Okay, that seems like a clog of the Torah. Shimon Ben Pazi says a, qu- a pasuk about the Korban Talmud. As a a Meaning, bring the Korban Talmud once a day in the morning, once a day in the afternoon. Says Yaakov, I don't understand. What in the world? Why is that like the key pasuk of the Torah? So the Maral explains. This is so crucial to have a daily Avoda, a daily Korban. Oh, my computer's going to die now. Also, oh, I'm running out of time on the Zoom and my computer's going to die. Okay, let's say this, say this really fast. Uh, by the way, if I, if, I, if I get off the Zoom, so I'll record it and I'll upload it as soon as I can. Says the morale, is so crucial to have a daily Korban, a daily Avoda. But Judaism is not something that we turn on and off once in a while, it's every day. Daily davening is crucial. Daily learning is crucial. Right? If you miss it, you can't make it up. Right? You don't bring two korban tamids if you miss one of them in the morning. Right? The key to Torah, key to Yiddishkeit, is every single day. Right? We don't take weekends off. Right? There's ways to relax, that's for sure, but we don't take time off. Judaism is life. Right? Yiddishkeit is the circle into which everything fits. It's not that you have a bunch of competing obligations. That's the, what the daily obligation of the korban tamid represents. Right? That's why it's so crucial. That... Literally, Yiddish Ketorah is every single day. Sezer Melech, another reason avoda is crucial is because when you do it every single day, it builds on each other. It builds on one another. When you do, the Korban when you do something for seven days in a row, it's not that you did it for seven individual days, it's that you've done it for a week. If you've done it 30 days in a row, it's not 30 individual days, it's a month, it's a year. And right? if you've ever done on a diet, gone on a diet, or you're training for a marathon, right that it builds it's not just a collection of individual days if you miss a day marathon training your fitness falls off So the same thing is true by Yiddishkeit, right learning learning and doing mitzvahs or whatever davening seven days in a row isn't just seven individual days it's a week etc etc and that's why very often we'll tell girls not to go back in the middle of sem sometimes because it breaks up the upward trajectory that girls are on and says this is you see two stories about Rabbi Akiva that illustrate this point. The first of all, Rabbi Akiva, again, he didn't know anything until he was 40 years old. And the Gemara says in Adaf Nun that when he went to learn, so he went away for 12 years. When he came back, he heard his wife saying to someone that she wished he'd go back for another 12 years. So Rabbi Akiva turned around and went back. Went back to the base Magrash. Came back after another 12 years, after 24 years of 24,000 Talmidim. So Kazal, explained, I understand. You, didn't spend, you, you want to spend the weekend. You want say, Shalom Aleichem, get some breakfast. He went right back to Yeshiva, he didn't knock on the door. So I'll explain that, just again, doing this quickly, because we're running out of time, that 12 plus 12 does not equal 24, right? 12 years, and 12 years is now 24 straight years, right? Torah and Yiddishkeit builds on itself, right? There's another famous story about Rabbi Kiva, how he got from, right? And Avos Rabbi Nelson, right? It says that he saw water dripping on a rock, making a hole. And he said, a Kabbalah he said, if water can penetrate the rock, so so too Torah can... Penetrate my mind, even though I'm already 40 years old. It says Rabbi Shorosalantar. Rabbi Kiva clearly didn't see the water impacting the rock. right? He saw one drip, and another drip, and another drip. Right? He didn't see the hole being created. right? Again, one drip does nothing. Another drip does nothing by itself. But when you have one, plus two, plus three, plus four, plus five, once you have ten, a hundred, a thousand, a million drips, that makes a hole in the stone. Same thing with Torah. That when a person, it's sometimes difficult, right? Again, we say that in the same year that uh, one day can seem like an eternity, but one day plus another day plus another day, right? When you go back, we do one day of mitzvahs, one day of learning, right? So that, that keeps on, it keeps on, uh, keeps on building. That's how you make an impact on yourself. And that's a tremendous lesson for us. Right? We need to make sure to combine our holy experiences, not to rest after we did a tremendous mitzvah. You're proud of yourself. You learned all day, amazing. The next day, do it again, right? Miss, don't miss a day. We're going to cut short the other the other schmoozes because we're running out of time here. But make sure to pile holy experiences on yourself and build yourself. That's a lesson the lesson of the korban Tomei. That is uh, a crucial uh, right a, to- a positive that the entire Torah can stand on and uh, and why it's uh, why it's one of <laughs> Zoom just ended. Why it's one of the most uh, crucial psuchim, crucial concepts right, in the Torah. Okay, uh, I apologize that I missed. We ended about 20 seconds over. But uh, have a great Shabbos, everybody. And it's Sham, see on Monday for, uh, Ms. Sishar.